This is your boy, DC, the Brain Supreme Tag Team. And you're listening to the Shadows Podcast. Whoop! There it is. Sprinkle! You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go check out beyondtherut.com where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the rut it's yours Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and today I'm excited. I got an awesome guest with me here, Jesse Torres. She is a peak performance coach and life strategist. Uh, she's got some a, a little 10-step giveaway that we're going to talk about here momentarily, but man, welcome to The Shadows. Thank you. I'm so excited and truly honored, uh, honestly, to be here, Trip. Thank you so much for reaching out. Oh yeah, this is gonna be fun. I'm I'm definitely gonna enjoy this conversation. Uh, I believe you mentioned you're located in Idaho. I am. I am. Okay. Meridian. How, how's the uh, How's the weather there right now? Right now, we actually had a little bit of snowfall yesterday, which was really a, a big contrast to uh, Tulum. I was just in on Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> um, but I love it. Honestly, I feel like Idaho gives me all the four seasons in a beautiful yeah. way. I get to experience snow, but it melts by morning. I get to experience 100 degree weather in the summer, and I get to see the gorgeous colors in autumn. It's just I love, love, love that time of year. Yeah, it's probably super peaceful there too. Very. I feel like I'm in a bubble away from the drama in the world. <laughs> I was just having that conversation with someone today. I was like, when I lived in Germany, there was no Target, fast food, any of that. <laughs> and it really made you appreciate just silence and mm. just, you know, yeah. being away from all of that. And then we came back to the States and moved to Montgomery and we got Atlanta up the road and everything. And it's just go, 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 go. So um, crazy definitely yeah. miss that that just peace and quiet so that's what I'm, i want to eventually get back to but i want to first put you through some rapid fire questions all right see how see how well you handle these first one okay you have two plane tickets one ticket you can go somewhere you've never been before and the other ticket you can return somewhere where would you use those tickets for Hmm. I can return to a time and era. Somewhere you've traveled to. Hmm. No, I'd rather go somewhere new. Somewhere new. Yeah. All right. So where are you going? Who? Where am I going? Um. 
there are so many places. I would love to go to Thailand. I would love to go to Egypt. I would love to go to Machu Picchu. Um, I want to go to Norway and see the Northern Lights. Um, yeah, I have a I have a big bucket list. <laughs> Thailand's number one on my wife's. Norway was my number one, and I knocked out Norway, and it was. Did you? Amazing. But I was actually had that on the bucket list for this September. So we'll see. Really? Yeah. It's expensive. Super yeah. At Cronin's, no joke. We we think we stopped at an airport in Oslo and had McDonald's for four. Or no, we were driving and we stopped off at a McDonald's. Came out to around about 80 bucks. You're kidding. It's so pricey. It is. <laughs> That was that was the only part was it just it hurt the wallet. So but we we hopped in a car and drove to the fjords and got to see there was fjords everywhere you looked. Yeah, it, was, wow. it was absolutely incredible. Okay. Well, according to what you said, that that's worth the whole price of the trip, right? Every bit of it. Yep. Guilty pleasure. Oh, my guilty pleasure. Sweets. Sweets? Yeah. What's your go-to? Carrot cake. <laughs> really yeah okay i, I like carrot cake. cake it's okay. like that's that's my birthday uh pleasure every birthday um i try to keep it to that yeah. <laughs> otherwise okay. i eat it every time if i see it i'm in it yeah all right yeah so carrot cake. what what is a fear that you have fear um you know that's kind of a tricky question because i've I've learned to not live with fear to mm. the point that this is going to sound kind of extreme yeah. because my normal answer would be my biggest fear would be to lose one of my children. Yeah. Um, but I've actually mentally taken myself there as well mm. um, to see what, where my mind would go yeah. and it would be something that I wouldn't love and I, and I would be devastated. Yeah. Um, but I still have two other kids I need to live for. So I've kind of just, I, I've kind of been that way. I kind of, I used to live so afraid. And because of that, I put things in my path that challenge me so that I can recognize fear, but not be jailed by it. Okay. Yeah. Book recommendation for listeners. Oh, that's a tough one. You can't just have me pick one. Um, there are so many right now who I've connected with, which totally surprised me is Erwin uh, McManus, uh, who wrote The Way of the Warrior. Mm. Um, and he wrote The Last Arrow and um, The Genius of Jesus. And so it's a, a spiritual book, not a religious book, but he does... Um, relate parts of the Bible to our human experience. Yeah. So it's fascinating um, because I don't put myself in a box that way. Yeah. Um, so I'm more spiritual than I am um, religious. I was raised Catholic, but, um, and so some of the things he said, especially the way of the warrior uh, for your audience is just so uh, I've listened to it three times now. And, okay. and because there were so many mic drop, like things he would say that I had to stop and like write it down. Um, so that, uh, and, and it's taken me a bit to actually find an author that I connect with. Um, and he's the one at my list right now. I also love Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton. Um, there's a lot of other authors um, that I love, but uh, he's the one that that's uh, on the docket right now. Okay. We'll have 
uh, those books listed under our resource recommendations over on our website. And Dinner for Three, Three Historical People Who Are No Longer With Us, Who Do You Break Bread With? Oh, my goodness. Jesus would be one of them. He's a, he, Jesus goes to every one of these. <laughs> really? You, you keep the street going. So Jesus. Um, historical. Um, honestly, I would love to have um, a brand new conversation with my father. Mm. Um, now you're going to make me all emotional. And um, my older brother, actually both my brothers, but you said three, well, three people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my older brother, cause I lost him 29 years ago. So it's been a bit. Um, and so Jesus, my dad and my older brother, you know, because again, I would love to speak to other historical people. Mother Teresa would be another one that I would love. Um, but the ability to be able to share my expansion would be something that I would hold for the rest of my life. Yeah. Okay. Well, you survived. The, <laughs> yes, I did. The rapid fire questions. Now I want to get into to your story. Take us back to your childhood, like you growing up. Where did you grow up and what were some of your aspirations as a kid? Sure. Um, I will Reader's Digest, <laughs> Reader's Digest this for you. Um, you know, my parents are both born and raised from Peru. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom fell in love with my dad when she was 19. My dad was 30. And they were, it was a mad love affair. But what my mom didn't know is that he was married with two kids and one on the way. Oh, wow. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, found out and put some article in the newspaper. And my mom found out. And she booked a flight to America to get away from him. Mm. And um, in doing so, he chased after her in the, on the freeway, on the freeway, on the airport. And uh, it was, she says it was a, like a, like a dramatic soap opera that goodbye. Yeah. Um, so he proceeded to go to his first wife um, and go to his son and five years old and said, you know, you're now the man of the family, left her, followed my mom to America um, told her that he had divorced his first wife, but actually hadn't, um, and married my mom in the U.S., was still married to her in Peru, and had my brother had me, and then um, would go to Peru to visit his family, and got her pregnant again, and had another child with her, um, and um, and then came back and had a third child with my mom. So... My upbringing was a very Latin family. My father was um, a musician. He loved to sing. He read poetry like he would bring you to your knees in tears. He was so passionate. Um, He was the life of the party. Uh, He played the cajon. (laughs) He played the spoons. You know, um, everybody loved him. Um, And my mom was, you know, the, the good wife. And um, what people didn't know or didn't recognize was that my father was sexually abusing me since my first memory. Um, I don't have a memory without that feeling. And I think what was crazy about it is that as a little girl, I didn't understand. I, I, I just adored my dad. 
Uh, I didn't understand the, the boundaries that were being broken because it was all I knew until I started to get older. And I mean, I, I dedicated love songs to him. <laughs> you know, this is how I was like, he made me feel special. You know, I was the one always sitting next to him. I was the one he took to adult parties. He should have taken my mom. So it kind of put me in this position where not only was there this weird dynamic between my mother and I, but there was also a dynamic where the third child that was born to his first wife was a girl, my, my half sister that now could also see through the lenses of, you know, my mom's a better woman and I must be the better daughter. And it's not her fault. It's my dad's. He would go there and compare us and do all kinds of things. So it just started to create this dynamic that for somebody, I'm just a little girl who is in love with her father and doesn't understand the lines that were being crossed until it got to discomfort and where it was no longer feeling good um, that I started to build traps to like, you know, warn me when he was coming into my room at night and, you know, doing, doing all these things to, to warn me, even though it didn't work really, but somehow it gave me comfort. Um, and from that, um, at 18, I rebelled. I thought, you know, I'm 18 now, you can't tell me what to do. So you want me home at midnight? Okay. I'll be home at two. And I just started to leave the house because if I was home, he was coming after me. My mom was working nights. So it just, I just wanted to get out. My mom would cry every night. Why are you doing this? And I just, I didn't have words. I would just leave. And one day I met this guy and we started dating. He took me out on a date and I came home late. My dad was out on the porch and he was furious, right? Cause I was two hours late and he looks at him and says, you get out. And he looks at me and says, you get in this house. Then he proceeded to, you know, berate me and yell at me throughout the night. But then the next day, my then boyfriend says to me, you know, what was up with your dad? And I'm like, what do you mean? He was mad because you brought me home late. And he said, no, 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 that was not an angry father. That was a jealous man. And when he said that, he opened up Pandora's box and I probably shared more with him than I should have, but it, nobody had ever acknowledged what I was going through. And at yeah. 16, I tried to tell my mom and I used the word molest and in Spanish, molestar means to bother or annoy. And he twisted my words and my mom believed him and she never spoke to me about it again. And so I was left for the next two years continuing to ward him off um, until this guy entered my world. So when he said that, and then he loved me anyways, like, wait, now you know all my dirty, now you know all my shame, now you know all of this, and you still want to be with me, I fell in instant love. And I was just like, my heart was wide open, you know, and he came from an alcoholic mother um, and his own levels of abuse. And so we talked about it and he thought, you know, I'll never let my kids see me drunk. And I thought I'll never let my kids be molested. And we thought we fixed it. Right. So we were madly in love. He um, got accepted to the L.A. Police Academy and I decided I was going to move in with him. I told my mom, my mom, being the good Catholic, said my daughter's not going to live with a man and not be married. Um, so and no offense, by the way, I, I respect all religion, but she um I moved out Monday. I was married Friday. 
And then what proceeded in 18 and a half, my next 18 years, um, and, and, and I do want to preface this, um, it's super important to me that I preface to the audience that I have nothing but love and forgiveness for my husband, my ex-husband, um, you know, and, and that I am grateful for every part of my journey uh, because I want to honor and respect him. You know, this isn't a story to bash him in any way whatsoever. It's just two hurt children that got together and tried to create a life. And we talked about the white picket fence and the dog and the kids. And truly, we created that. Yeah. But what was happening in the home, because of how he was treated by his mother, uh, which, you know, being a very hardened alcoholic, she was brutal. You know, he would come home to his sisters unconscious on the floor. Um, you know, so many, so much craziness that the only way they communed communicated was through vulgarities, rage. And, you know, when he was 13, he finally got so upset. He, he like took this chair over the table and she threw a wrought iron skillet at his head as he ran out the door, you know, like, but this is like Tuesday, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I got all that and I loved him so much. I wanted to, you know, be with him forever and show him a different way. But what we didn't know is that the only way he knew how to handle stress or any, disruption was through vulgarities, anger, rage, and demeaning. And so the verbal, emotional, and mental abuse that happened during that time period was enough to, to kill me in every way a human can die. Um, I was apathetic. I was willing and praying for someone to blow the red light because I, I just couldn't stand living in this life anymore. I didn't know how to handle it. I was called every name in the book. I was, he was so jealous and he was so controlling. And we had these three beautiful kids and honestly a beautiful life. But his background, along with now being a cop and dealing with being a, a police officer, period, is a lot to handle. And that was another thing we talked about. You know, he was going to share with me and he did. He shared with me all his experiences, but there was still so much emotional breakdown that this was mirroring that it just made it more intense more intense and by the way he was he was active military before he became lapd mm -hmm. right so he was in the army um 82nd airborne you know he'd be proud yeah. i said that um and you know and to me i always was proud of him because at 17 here's the life he was living at home and he was interviewed by the high school newspaper and he said, I'm going to join the military and I'm going to become a cop. And he did exactly that. But he could never find his own value or self-worth enough to believe that he deserved me. Yeah. And he would tell me, you know, God screwed up when he gave you to me. And when he figures it out, he's going to take you from me. And, I, and he believed that. And so it's almost like he tested over and over and over again. How bad can I treat you? And will you stick around? And I would always, nope, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay until I die. And I believe I reached that threshold. I told him at one point, you stabbed everywhere. I bled out. There's nothing left. I got nothing. I am numb and I feel nothing anymore. And in the context of that, there was an interesting segment of our marriage where we had, I think it was in two years, four deaths. We had an experienced death together. We had his uncle Jim, who was six, six and a half, worked on the Puget Sound in Washington. 
and he was on the shipyard and those big huge ball ball metal balls with the hook under yeah literally fell on his head mm. like he was at the exact precise place at the right time and that so it was like devastating his partner who they were doing a bike uh beat on hollywood um came home from work put in a john wayne movie and died of an aneurysm oh, left wow. a six-year-old and a four-year-old and then the next thing his um his sister committed suicide it's like the worst thing when the cops are knocking at your door right living with a cop and being a cop we knew what that meant yeah. and when they came knocking we had known that his sister committed suicide and then a year later my brother was murdered and so we literally just got bombarded um, with these deaths that were so wild and not, you know, typical or normal uh, from the context of, <clears throat> you know, living your life. And it was devastating. And during that time, I turned my back on God or any any faith whatsoever. I was like flipping God off saying, you know, what if you don't exist? What if there's nothing and you just get buried six feet under with worms crawling out of your eye holes? That's literally what I said. Like, what if there's nothing? Because how dare you take my brother? My brother was my safety when my dad was coming in my room. He would hold my hand. He was just everything where, where I felt protected. And now he's gone at 29 years old and I was 28. Um, so it was, I was filled with rage. I was filled with sadness and grief and, and an unknown of, what the flip happened and what the flip, why? And um, it, it, it was really, really hard. And the gentleman was pleading innocent the whole time. So we had a week long trial. And I don't know if you remember uh, Judge Weissman, who was the judge for the Rodney King beatings. Mm -hmm. um, he was our judge. Oh, wow. And um, and ultimately he got convicted for life without the possibility of parole, plus six years for using his roommate's gun who was a deputy sheriff. Um, and then fast forward to today trip, you asked me, you know, about my life. Um, and this one's a little sensitive because it's so recent. Yeah. After, excuse me, after realizing that I could no longer live within my marriage, it was an act of kindness that got me to wake up. And so I speak on it a lot because I think sometimes we start to see how heavy the world is and we start to see man's inhumanity to man. And, you know, the news is that's what it shows us. And we think that we have no power. Mm -hmm. We think that we have no ability to change the world. And I want to tell you, we do, because in the context of people being kind to me, it short circuited me. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know to call it kindness at the time. I just knew that they were doing something for me that didn't require anything in return. My dad had asked, had told me that, you know, people, you know, want to get in your pants. So don't trust anybody, which is, of course, what he was doing. My ex-husband said, you know what, just people want to break up a good marriage. So don't talk about our marriage to anybody. Right. So I didn't trust anybody. I didn't look people in the eye. I walked with shame eyes. I looked down at the ground. I didn't want to get in trouble. And these people treated me kindly and I didn't know what it was. All I knew was it was a class I took. All I knew is that when I go to this class, I felt alive. And when I went home, I was dead. And, and all they did, they bought me a Best Buy card because I put this video together and they all pitched in money. I, I, it seems so simple, yeah. but that little freaking Best Buy card was an act of kindness 
that I didn't know what to do with. All I know is it, whatever spark was left in me was ignited. And so we all have the power to literally change the trajectory of someone's life. And we don't know, like those people will never know who they woke up. And that's why I'm committed now to serving humanity in the best way possible that I can to help realize that we all have power to affect change in the world, because that gave me the courage to get out of my marriage. And then I became obsessed with personal development. I never picked up a book. I never, I had to buy a Thomas guide back then to even leave my city, right? And I, I started to, to, to read. I started to go to workshops, seminars. I went to therapy. I went to, like, I wanted to understand why my dad did what he did, why my mom ignored it, why I, why my husband did what he did and why I allowed it. And I wanted to have a different level of knowing about this human experience. And subsequently, you know, went through, um, my therapist told me you should be a coach. Cause I said, I want to do what you do, but that's a lot of school and a lot of time. <laughs> And, um, and she said you should be a coach. And this was back in, you know, um, 2006. And I was like, what is that? Like a soccer coach? You know, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. And um, so I looked into it and um, I was fascinated by it. And so I went through Coaches Training Institute because I'm more of a physical hands-on learner. Mm-hmm. And most of them were online or uh, totally the one that I wanted was way too much money. And so this one did half virtual, half on site. And I did it. And as you go through coach training, you actually are like clearing yourself. You know what I mean? You're your first client. Oh, yeah. And so it helped me tremendously. And then I entered the Tony Robbins world, which to me changed my world. And then I want to become one of those coaches. So I fought hard to be there. And then I transcended into spirituality and working with shamans and working with, you know, um, you know, the Institute of Heart Math. And I just kept going. And my evolution has taken me to this place to to this day where, you know, challenges don't stop. Like I tell clients mindset, like, and I, I tell them, I hate to break it to you, but mindset is forever. forever. Right? Because November 14th, my little brother was killed. And that was just, you know, what is it now? November, December, January, February, three months ago. And so talk about another freaking jolt. But this time I leaned into my spirituality. I believe that everything is in some divine order. I believe God doesn't waste the pain. I believe we do if we choose to. And if I have a very strong belief that everything happens for our highest and greatest good, even the suck. And we have to find the light in our darkest moments, because if we don't, we will only remember the pain. And so this time around, as tragic as it is, and my little brother was 15 when my older brother died, and he idolized him, and he's been on this mad search for someone to replace him. So he's been in and out of trouble and in prison, out of prison, like he had lived a life that was very tumultuous to say the least. But at this stage of his life, he was picking up his girls from school. He was waking up early to take them. He was helping them with their homework, cooking them dinner. Like, you know, six, seven years ago, I wouldn't have been as shocked at this stage of his life. It was just another tragic, like freaking uppercut that, 
I really had to use every tool, every resource, understanding, navigating detectives, navigating baby mamas that are coming up telling me that their babies are his and navigating, you know, my mom again, you know, it's just beyond what I could have expected as the next level challenge for me. But I'll close with this. If I'm going to be in alignment with my belief that everything is for my greatest good and that God doesn't waste the pain, I am going to use this pain Mm -hmm. and turn it into purpose. I'm going to use this pain and alchemize it into what I can do to make a difference because I believe it's available for me. We talk about people like John Walsh or, um, you know, the lady Charlotte, I can't remember her full name, that created Mothers Against Drunk Driving. They all did it because of the tragedy. Uh, John Walsh was the one that did America's Most Wanted, right? That, yeah. He did that from the, the loss of his little son. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so that's how I'm, 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 I'm convinced to look at this. Yeah. Like if I'm not meant to have my brothers in this lifetime and I'm left here to live in this earth, then I'm going to utilize every ounce of pain to dig my heels deeper in conviction to serve humanity at the level that I, as one woman, can. And I believe that if we can take our pain and turn it into passion and purpose and ultimately impact, we can change the world. Yeah. Wow. That might have been like the most intense 20 minutes of recording that I've had here on the shadows. And I'm being serious with that. That was um, crazy to look back at that journey. And the one thing I kept writing on my, 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 my pad here was mindset and mm-hmm. just your mindset and your outlook on things. You based on that story have been dealt a hand that most people would take and say, life sucks. Uh, there's no, no faith. There's, you know, why me? They would play that victim mentality. But I really like how through all of these tragedies, and first of all, thank you so much for sharing every bit of that. But such a positive mindset and a positive outlook that, you know, that's what the the shadows embodies is taking those dark moments and bringing them into the light, bringing in and making others grow. And so many things you said from the you know, I, someone said this on our earlier one of our episodes, but you're going to plant those seeds in others and you'll never see the tree fully grow and be able to see what you do for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned that with, you know, the power of change and then childhood trauma is real. It is real. And you were talking about um, your ex-husband and how just the fact of how he grew up, I could relate to a lot of that because I grew up in uh, after my father had passed away and it was my mother, my sister and I living in the house, things got tense because my mom was now a widow, mm-hmm. not used to the same lifestyle that she had before. I think she was going through it with a daughter who was struggling with some issues. And um, I grew up thinking I had to argue. I had to fight. Mm-hmm. And it almost derailed my marriage because I was combative. I was, if I was challenged, I would fight back. And it wasn't until um, my wife had told me one day, she's like, you're never going to talk to me like that ever again. Mm. And it really, I mean, it it changed things for me, but um, some things to talk about here, because I wrote down a ton of 
follow-ups for this. You mentioned that discomfort. When was that moment where it's kind of a two-part question, the moment where you were like, okay, this is not right. What my, my father is doing and what advice would you have for anyone out there? Not necessarily like in your shoes, but even in relationships when they're like, okay, this is getting a little uncomfortable. I would say that, and and this will actually be in in that 10 um, tips that, that I offer at the end, is that recognize that you are beautifully worth speaking about, mm-hmm. right? So part of my thing, shame, shame lives in secrecy, right? And when we feel unworthy, we don't think we have a voice to say, this doesn't work for me. And yeah. in my situation, my husband... It was confusing because he would tell me, you know, don't let anybody walk on you, including me. But then he would do it. And then when I try to speak on it, he'd get more angry. Right. So I get that. And so but but know that you have a voice and you're beautifully worth asking for what you want. And my invitation is that we have to learn how to communicate in a way if we're coming with love. If you could imagine there's a love filter through your words, that it's not about you did this to me. It's about here's what happened when this situation, it made me feel this way. So because nobody can make us feel a way that we don't allow, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to see our own value enough to say, especially when you love someone, like I think now hindsight's 2020, I'm like, how, how would my marriage have been had I been able to have a voice, right? I didn't know then, you know, and I do know my husband loved me. He just didn't know how to, right? He only interpreted what love is. And for your audience, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough because you're taught to not feel, you're taught like feelings in the military is freaking a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be ready to to take out a six year old with freaking a bomb wrapped around him. And you can't be thinking about he's someone's son. Right. Because that's going to kill 30 people. You know what I mean? And it's really hard because you guys and what I've learned in my years is that men's and, and women, but men's hearts in particular are no less tender than the rest of us. But you're taught to put these layers and layers and layers in front of it that then you go home and you have a beautiful feeling wife and you 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 don't know how to handle it. And then when you get and what I think also happened with my husband is that when you go to battle. So right. So you guys get in an argument with each other that triggers the battle warrior in your mind. And now it's like, I'm going to win and I'm going to do whatever it takes to take you out. Because pride if I don't ego. win, I die. Yeah, pride and ego. Yeah. And, but, but, but you correlate it to what it's like out there on the field. Yeah. If I don't win, if I don't fight to win, I die. And you forget that you're talking to your wife. Yep. Right? You forget that that's the beautiful, like I used to think like, how could you talk about me? Like I am the freaking greatest thing since sliced bread. And at the same time, knock me off my knees like I've never heard before. I didn't, I do it. I understand it now, but then I didn't. And so I want to just appreciate all that you guys have to endure. And I appreciate that you're moved away from that emotional home. But I want to invite that you learn how to have finesse 
and know when it's appropriate and when it's not. Be conscious about your state of being. Where is your emotional home? Where do you choose it to be? And remember that you are always in control. Yeah, so many good things you just said right there to include the emotion piece where uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the, we teach the the brain science behind it, where if, you know, like the example you gave of like your husband, if he's thinking logically, he loves you, he's, he's there for you. But the second something triggers and that amygdala, that fight or flight is, is pushed. Then we end up saying things and doing things that we ultimately regret. And that is, I mean, and even we were talking about emotions telling somebody that they shouldn't feel a certain way or that they, that gaslighting. Um, I had a a parent moment the other night when my daughter went through something and I was trying to uh, tell her five years ago, I would have told her like, get over it. It's going to be fine. You're never, you're not going to remember this, but now I'm, since I've been on an emotional growth journey, I sit back and I'm like, how do you feel? Like Mm -hmm. feel that be pissed off, be sad, be heartbroken, like get it out of your system. Like you deserve to feel all those emotions and you're not wrong for feeling that way. And then I think also, um, I think the pandemic in a way brought emotions and mental health awareness. It, it heightened it a lot because now the the Vietnam leadership style of put dirt on it, men don't cry all of that mm. that's to me uh, and and i've i've had this conversation with people and people have disagreed with me and i don't care um but i look at that where people say my father passed away my grandfather passed away and he never shed a tear what a real man no oh, my goodness <laughs> to me people that imagine what they the demons they had the mm-hmm. i mean the things that they were keeping bottled the the bowling balls in the closet that they right. had that they weren't able to share you know they'll say like well they never told me what they did in the military can you imagine the mindset and the mentality those individuals walked around with so now I'm, i like to see where you know men can cry with each other men can shed tears they can that's a lot to carry when you don't it's yeah. a lot to carry. My daughter and, has seen me cry. My wife has seen me cry. And yeah. I have friends who've seen me cry. And uh, one of my best friends in the military, we 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 lost a baby. And this is the first time I've said this on the podcast. Mm, uh, but I'm we so lost sorry. a baby a couple of months back. And I met one of my uh, fellow instructors at the door and I was in tears. Yeah. Uh, wow. Had so no sorry. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's something we need to you know, embrace is, Hey, emotions, share them, feel them, quit putting on this facade of, you know, I'm the toughest guy on the block. I'm not going to show tears. Well, here's the myth. And and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Hmm. I'm like the myth that is so important to get. And especially just in general, but coming from a woman, Mm -hmm. it takes a hell of a lot more courage and strength 
to feel your feelings yep. than it does to suppress them. It's yep. a myth to think that you're tougher because you don't cry or that you're stronger. To me, it takes a heightened level of intelligence to be able to express you. You're humans. You're not subhuman, even though I know they want to teach you you are, <laughs> um, right? Like you, you still are a human being with feelings and it takes a lot more bravery to be able to be expressed. And for women, it's not only a turn on, it's like, oh, like you get me at some level because you are able to feel your feelings. So yeah. it's it's like it creates an expansion in the relationship because when you don't ever go there, we feel like we're on an island with it mm -hmm. and you just don't get it, yeah. right? Like you said, you would have told your daughter, just get over it, right? Ain't, ain't nobody got time for emotions, right? Because when you do, you die. And again, that's the translation. But what you gave your daughter in that moment is, is an opportunity to have an emotional intelligence that will allow her to feel her feelings and not be governed or controlled by them because they're so suppressed. Your mother, what's your relationship now with her? Oof. My relationship with my mom, she is a woman that is filled with love. Like she is just... However, she has um, a pattern of being in a victim story, right? And God bless her. She's been the victim of a lot of things, <laughs> um, you know, infidelity and, and betrayal and, you know, loss. And there's been a lot. So I totally get it. Um, and so it's been a battle for a little while because I moved away to do everything to not be like her, <laughs> right? Like you said, I had a lot of opportunity to be in a victim mentality. And just to be clear, I was for a while, right? This happened to me. It was, you know, and I'd lived by the story, right? But I started to realize that that was that very story that created limitation. When I share my story now, it's from a place of understanding that it is the divine choreography of my life. Yeah. It is actually with precision the way it's meant to be so that I could awaken to who I am today and serve humanity. So I get it. And I'm grateful for every minute. Right. So now it's a story of victor, not victim. And so my mom kind of lived in that realm where I see she is now. She is handling my little brother's death differently. When my older brother died, my mom went on an obsession with my little brother. So they had a karmic debt that I knew nothing about. While my little brother was alive, he would always come first. Why? Because he was in trouble. He needed her. She needed to be needed. It was a perfect match. Yeah. I moved away to find my own sovereignty, to be able to be independent. And so her model of the world is I'm a mom. I need to be needed or I have no significance. Mm. So he and my mom were a perfect match. I moved out, got independent. And so I'm good. I'm good. Jesse's fine. Where do you think that comes from with her mindset? I think there was also a dynamic where in my upbringing, my dad took me for affection and emotion. And she felt like she was on the back burner. Yes. And yeah. so she pulled in on my brothers. Yeah. She got what she was lacking from them to the point that my older brother was a little uncomfortable about it. Yeah. But with my little brother, it created a mass codependency. Yeah. Yeah. And so now at this stage where it's a new beginning and I told her she's 83 now and I'm like, maybe this is an opportunity for you and I, you yeah. know, and I, 
and I'm always looking for the light right in the dark. Um, and so it's um, it's been very interesting. I love her to death. She's 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 a good woman and um she's had a lot happen in her lifetime and i appreciate her for always being open to learning and she is not handling my little brother like a victim she's not and i'm so proud of her for that almost to the point that i need to remind her it's okay to cry yeah um you know and uh just not, not live there like because you know pain is a part of our life but suffering is optional so when it starts to go to the dial of suffering, that's where we can get habitual in our pain. Yeah. Feel the pain, stop the suffering. Yep. Got to allow yourself permission to feel it. And it's, it. so I, I lost, we were talking about this before we came on, but I lost my father when I was 11. I lost my sister. She was murdered when I was 16. Oh, wow. And I've, I've also lost my grandmother who was oh, so close to my grandmother. And, um, my stepfather, who was Alan Simmons, was perhaps the nicest man to ever walk the face of God's green earth. And there are times where even though we have that victim mindset, we 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 can kind of shift. It's interchangeable. We'll look at things and we'll say, all right, I'm, I'm being very optimistic today. I'm, I'm going to get through this. But then we'll get hit with that emotion, that feeling, that trigger from something um, in our past. How in the world have you been through, like you said, four deaths in a very short amount of time? And you were, you know, it, I imagine a lot of the stuff you've been through, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, makes you question your faith. What was it in your life that actually restored that faith for you? You know, I don't remember the exact moment, but I think when... Yeah, I mean, my faith had to have come back way before I started my spiritual journey, mm -hmm. but it came back from a place of, I think, needing to believe yeah. versus actually believing. And I think that after I finished my time being a coach for Tony Robbins, I wanted the next evolution of my spirit. Yeah. And I apprenticed to be a shaman for a year. And I think... In, in that aspect, my conviction and total belief in this higher power and God universe, whatever, whatever you believe, like I, I don't have any problems with anybody's vision of that. Um, but I believe so profoundly in that there's something greater than, our, than us telling our heart to be, that it allows me to live with inspired action. It allows me to live with motivation to serve humanity. I was just on a, a mastermind group that I'm a part of and, you know, we're all expanding and we're all growing. And one lady was saying, you know, I just wonder what for, like, is this for just my own evolution or what do I do with it? Da, da, da. And I'm like, my response is every minute of my evolution and expansion is for my ability to lift another. Yeah. That's just my, like, cause I think we're here to help each other. We're here to support each other We're here to, to think yeah. that we go it alone. Right. And so we, we all need tender touch. You know, it's like my grandmother, she gave me this beautiful lesson. She was almost 105. She was two weeks shy of her 105th birthday when she passed. And, you know, in that lifeline, she looked like she was 80, you That's know, like she life. so good. Right. Um, she had nine kids, my mom obviously being one of them. 
And there was a lot of disruption when she was in hospice. And some of the kids thought she should be at home and some thought there. And there was this whole argument. And my mom was one of the worst. And um, they were arguing over it. And I'm like, mom, grandma needs to feel nothing but peace right now. Like none of this matters, right? But I got the opportunity to go in there and visit her by myself. And we ate lunch together and she shared with me and I just saw her staring off into space. She was kind of in that space where she would just kind of disappear in the space. And I was just looking at her beauty and I reached up and I just put my hand on her face and she, oh, she leaned into it like, and she just goes, oh, and I thought, when is the last time she has received tender touch? Yeah. And and she felt like a starving person, you know, on a desert island who just got given a little driplet of water. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is what we all need. We need each other. We need to be tender. We need to love. We need to be kind. And if we do anything in life or we want to be successful, we do it. What for? So we could share it. So we could experience, right? So it, what was that saying by uh, Maya Angelou? People don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. Emotional memories, yeah. Yeah. And so if we're not sucking the juice out of life, what are we doing it for? And I believe to me, it's about service. It's about giving a hand to your neighbor. It's about being kind because kindness saved my life. And so if kindness can save me, and now I'm on a massive quest to build an army of angels that are here to change humanity then there's somebody else out there who will have the same mission and your one act of kindness can literally change the trajectory of their lives like it did mine. So don't underestimate the power of your love. Yeah. And it's crazy because there's so many people out there like you that are doing these positive things, but one of the the biggest, uh, gosh, it would be like roadblocks of just us all really, really helping each other is, social media uh everybody's got a voice everybody's got an opinion everybody's trying to like bring down other people and it's kind of sad when you see it, it uh, where it's we should be using these tools like you know instagram and facebook and linkedin and all this stuff to help each other more but it's like gosh we do something positive and people either label you as as uh they they can't really be that optimistic or that positive or they're putting on a front or they're chasing clout or this that the other and it's really sad to see that um Mm -hmm. but i mean you sitting here telling the story you know one thing i want to ask you about before we get into the coaching piece you know i asked you earlier about the dinner for three and you mentioned your dad was was one of them what would you say to your dad like what is it that makes you want to have that conversation with him well I just at this mastermind retreat had a big, huge, like breakthrough yeah. with him. And it's so, it's so interesting. You know, we, as human beings, you know, we think we're good and you know, we got, no, oh, I forgave. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the jar can't read the outside of the label. Yeah. And I've done my work. And two weeks before my father died, he was, he had leukemia and he was in and out of dementia. And I got this moment where he was lucid and he looked at me and he said, I wish I could have been the father you deserved. And I got to say to him without hesitation, dad, you were perfect. You were exactly who I needed you to be. So I could be who I am today Mm -hmm. and I'm good. And, you know, 
I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but when somebody has that kind of breakthrough, it's like the innocence comes back to their cheekbones and their, like he looked like he turned into a child at that moment. And I know that at least he died with being at peace with that. Yeah. But what I got, yeah. But what I got this last weekend and why it's so tender is if I believe that everything is with God's precision, then my dad did a damn good job of getting me as being a part of my evolution to be here today and and to be so convicted and so empowered to help serve humanity that I get to fully love him. I get to fully love him without the construct of society and the rules that I can't love him because he abused me sexually and that's dirty and that's bad and he's a bad man. It's like, I just call BS on that. You know, it's like, do I wish it was different? Do I wish I had a different relationship? I don't know because I wouldn't be me and I'm good. And I think the journey in this lifetime is to get to that goodness where we rip out what I call heart armor that we create this armor around our hearts to protect ourselves because we've been hurt before. And then we spend the rest of our lives ripping that away to find that the, we were the divine perfection we always were. Yeah. And that we just started to create a meaning about our experience, our, our existence based on our experiences. And I wrote the story that I was something to be ashamed of. I wrote the story that I was filthy and damaged goods and nobody would ever love me. I wrote that story. My dad behaved, but I owned that meaning yeah and so and sure I was a kid I didn't know better but the point is is that I own responsibility for that and I also own responsibility that I get to change that meaning and I get to change the rule and I get to see my beauty and I get to own my divinity and I get to freaking show up with passion to help people and if that's who I am today and my dad did a damn good job at his contract with God in the role in my lifetime and I get to love him unapologetically. And that felt so good. So to answer your question, I would love to be able to know that he understands that at a level that he never has regret or shame because there was a period of time he wanted to kill himself and it all came out. Like I want his soul to be at so much peace. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And as you were talking, I was like, I got to follow up. But then I got so enthralled in what you were saying to where I'm, I'm <laughs> one of the first times here. I'm kind of like, wow, I should have written this down. Um, no, that that's incredible. I mean, just everything, the amount of just like the I would say it's like maturity on your part, too. Um, people have come on here before and they have held grudges with people. But mm. forgiveness is key. Uh, Absolutely. being like you said, that victor versus that victim mindset. And then what you were just talking about a moment ago with, with like, you control your narrative. And that's what I wish more people understood. I went and taught this for a bunch of high schoolers and I gave them a, it was some troubled high schoolers. I gave them an index card and a pen and the index card is blank. And I'm like, you've been allowing people to take your pen and write your story for you long enough. Mm. write your own story. That card is blank. You control your future. And to the listeners out there, I really wish everybody would just take some time after listening to this episode 
and just really sit, either sit back and think, journal, do something, but reflect on all the good that you're bringing to people and be honest with yourself. Don't sit there and say, no, nah, I don't do it. for real. Everybody out there does some great um, for, for others. And, you know, you mentioned before we get into the coaching piece, uh, you know, your little brother passed away in November and thank you for, for opening up, uh, you know, d- share his, his legacy. Like, what was it that, you are better today because of your little brother. Man, you asked some tough questions. <laughs> I mean, they're not tough, but they're just emotional for me. Um, but hey, I'm an ocean of emotion. It is what it is. Um, you know, what's interesting is because I've conditioned myself to look for the light in the dark. Yeah. I have been finding, I've been seeking, learning more about him you know, ruffling through his paperwork, stuff he'd written. And there was times that he was in prison that I sent him books, right? Because he's in there. He reads the Bible front to back. And I sent him Think and Grow Rich. I sent him Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. I sent him all these personal development books. And what I found and what I would love to leave as a legacy for my little brother is that... I found some paperwork where he wrote a list, handwriting, really tiny writing, front and back, how to raise a good daughter. And he had things in there like, tell her to sit up in front. It teaches her desire to learn. Tell her to raise her hand and ask questions. Ask her about her her thoughts at dinner time. Use it as a way, but that's not a moment to interject your beliefs. That's a moment to figure out how your daughter ticks. I mean, it was just going on and on and on. It was so beautiful. And then I also found where he started to write down quotes that he appreciated from the books. Like, you know, be... um, uh, solution minded, not problem focused, you know, uh, you know, uh, tough people go or tough people, tough times go away, but tough people don't, you know, stuff like that. And so I was looking at that. And, you know, he still lived in an area near Compton in Los Angeles. And he had uh, his wife lived in that area. And he had two little girls. And um, I wanted him out of there, right? Because during the time that he would get in trouble, it's just, it's just an essence. It's an energy in that area that I just get out of there. You know what I mean? But he didn't know another way. He, this is the life he lived. And what I learned about him is that two weeks, not even a week before he passed, I sent him a message because I've always like text him here and there. And I said, I said, what's your purpose? And he said to inspire. And I said, awesome. I said, who have you or who will you inspire today? And he wrote my followers. And I'm like, awesome. How many followers do you have? He goes, I have 3,100. And he would ride his motorcycle and he would do like wheelies down the road or he'd stand up on the top of it, uh, on the top of the bike while the bike is going. And he just had this way. But what I found when he passed is People were posting on his Instagram, not him. Oh my God, he helped me to not do this stupid thing I was going to do. He was one of the good ones. He motivated me. He did it. So what I learned and what I would want his legacy to be is that he was doing not less than what I'm doing now. He was just doing it in his element. He was the light in that darkness. And he was inspiring people. When he was in prison, 
He would speak at the AA meetings and the anger management meetings. And he said, people are telling me that I helped them. And I go, get testimonials. So he got like 23 testimonials from inmates telling him how he changed their life by virtue of speaking in prison. And I can't find them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna yeah. to to find them. I have a picture of them because he had sent it to me. But um, he was the light in the dark. He was the light in the dark. And that's that's how I believe his legacy is. You don't have to be some big wig, billionaire, whatever. I have more respect for somebody who can be the light in the dark at all times, no matter how dense the darkness is. Speak life into people because your words, your, hey, you look great today. Or you know what? You have beautiful eyes or your smile is captivating or that can literally change the trajectory of someone's life because you have no idea what bombs are going off in their world. 100%. Just by telling someone something simple, like you said, of, hey, I appreciate you or hey, yeah, looking good, something like that. Where Don't eat the compliment. Like if you yeah. think it, share it. And I actually played a trick. Like I always like and, and use dinner. Or in the morning with your children, whose life will be better because of you today? Mm. Right? You start their morning that way. And then at dinner, you say, whose life was better because yeah. of you today? And let them seek the opportunity to be kind. Let them seek the opportunity to share their freaking goodies in their lunchbox. You know, like give them the lenses to start thinking with acts of service. And you will inspire and awaken something in them that will never be able to be unseen. And they'll start looking for opportunities to make somebody's life better every single day. And you talk about your brother. I mean, wow, what could have been such a victim mentality, but to do all of that goodness, um, it pretty much sums up what we've been talking about, victor versus victim. Um, Wow. So I appreciate you opening up and, and sharing that about him. Uh, coaching. Talk to us about your peak performance coaching and, and life strategies that, you, that you've that you got going on for your army of angels to help change. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I just spoke to a gentleman who, who just enrolled and uh, I, I don't know how to explain it other than to me, it's like catnip to my spirit. <laughs> Every single time somebody makes a decision to make their life limitless. I think that, you know, the only limitation to the human being is the belief that there is one. And, and I created a 10 week program that allows you to start not just to get the tools, because there's a lot of personal development out there. There's a lot of coaches, there's a lot of training on how to trigger your mind to behave differently, which I honor and respect. However, if we don't upgrade the old program we're gonna glitch oh yeah it's like still owning a dos computer and buying cutting edge software and installing it in that computer it's like it's not gonna work it's a lot of people have 82 apple computers still running yeah Yeah. i mean it's not that the software isn't that the software is amazing but the os has not been upgraded and so what ends up happening is we get these big tools to empower us and move forward but we keep glitching. And in that glitch, what happens, because we all have that sabotaging voice, in the moment that you've studied personal development, you've read the books, and then you find yourself 
still in a shame cycle or still in an anger cycle or still something pops up, it gives that sabotaging voice an opportunity to shame you even more. Because now you're like, oh, I know better. I know that I need to do the thing and I didn't do it. So I'm still screwed up, right? Which is the is the lie. But if we don't look at what created the trigger to begin with, we're, we're just stacking new software on an old OS. We've got to reprogram the subconscious mind. And you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know. You think I've forgiven. No, I'm good, right? But you haven't. I had a gentleman at a speaking engagement that I did who was like 400 pounds. And he stood up and I was talking about forgiveness. And he said, you know, I... I don't need forgiveness. Like I'm good. Like my mom lives three blocks from me and I have zero desire to see her zero desire. And I, I, I don't need to forgive her. I don't feel anything. And I, and I, and luckily I had rapport with him, but I said, with all due respect, um, you're wearing it. You are wearing your unforgiveness yeah. on your body. And honestly, he, he, he came to tears with it and realizing, right? Like we don't, we don't recognize it. We think we've psychologized our way out of needing to emotionally release, right? Mm -hmm. And forgiveness is not just, you know what? I forgive you. I don't even care. That's not forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that, that forgiveness is a process of also um, finding the gift in the negative experience, um, and that's super important too. Um, you know, I, I spoke to a lady this past weekend who didn't, she didn't want forgiveness because she says forgiveness means wrongdoing. I've never experienced forgiveness because I said, what if forgiveness was love? She says, I've never experienced forgiveness as love. I've only experienced it as, as wrongdoing. So I prefer to use acceptance. I'm like, but they're different. Acceptance is different. And this is where we spiritually bypass. No, I accept it all because it's all under divine plan. And I get that it was all supposed to happen. But the human being still needs forgiveness. And she kept arguing with me. And so push back, push back after like 45 minutes of this conversation. And we were, we were sharing this room. So I rolled over and I gave her a hug and I whispered in her ear and I said, take a deep breath. And I said, I want you to let my words that I'm about to say land. Okay, just let them land. And I just whispered in her ear, I am so sorry that you were treated that way. I am so sorry. It wasn't your And I just started apologizing on behalf of what happened to her. And she had a cathartic cry for like 30 minutes, just bawling. And I said, that is what forgiveness can do. So please don't... um, Just know that you don't know what you don't know. But if there's any limitation in your life, I built this program to be able to help unravel that. And this isn't therapy. We're not going to go to your past to live there. We're just going to go to where you created the meaning. And we're going to find the other side of the story. Mm -hmm. We're going to find the other truth that was available there. Right? Like I can say I was a little girl building traps and how sad it is that I had to build traps to ward off my father because that's true. But what's also true is that I was massively creative, massively resourceful and very courageous because that's also true. I didn't know that I was going to need courage and resourcefulness when I got divorced. I didn't know that, but God did. And if God could whisper right now and say, you know, Tripp, I know this sucks right now, but if you knew what's coming, 
you'd understand why I need you to build courage right now. Yeah. We don't get to know. We just get to show up. So my program is based to where you get to see the unseen. So you never unsee it. And you see your journey as this beautiful divine choreography of your life so that you could turn your pain into passion and purpose and never, ever be able to unsee the beauty of your divinity and the beauty of who you are and the limitless potential that's available to you when you fall in love with that part of you that went through the pain. Yeah. The universe's rejection is the universe's protection. Mm. Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners about your uh, 10 step giveaway that you're. you're sure. It's, it's honestly, it's a place that I just want to be clear. It's a place where I used to live mm-hmm. and I didn't feel that I had any way out. The reason I was praying for the red light, you know, for somebody to blow the red light is because I didn't see that there was a way out for me. I didn't, divorce wasn't an option. He made, you know, 90% of the, of the money. I, what was I going to do? And so it's just a step to walk you through any situation that you might be experiencing and some tools to be able to take action for your life because you are in control and we think we're not right in that moment. I didn't think I was, I had no power, no control. He made all the money. I, who am I, who am I to survive with three kids? You know, I have twin boys. They were 17 at the time. My daughter was 15. It was a very tough time in their lives, you know? So I didn't see a way out, but there always is. And so it's just a step-by-step process. It's an acronym for fierce grace, which is what my program is called. Mm -hmm. So every letter has a tool to help you begin to make a difference in your own life. And where can they find everything about you? The the tools, the coaching, where would you direct them to? Unshakablelife.com. And uh, you'll see there... um, there's a, a webinar that you can watch and you can kind of get an idea if we're a fit to work together because what's important to mention is that I don't just take anybody. Yeah. I really don't. Um, we have to be a fit. We You have to be willing to let the story go. You yeah. have to get out of the blame game and you can't be afraid of vulnerability because yeah. we're going there. I'm like, you know, like if you work with me, we're going deep oh, yeah. and you have to be willing to do that because if we don't, we're just putting lipstick on a pig and we don't want to do that. Yeah, we, I'm done with that. We we can't cover up the story, right? You you need to unravel it. So you upgrade the OS, you install new software, and now you're kicking like gangbusters. Uh, and now every single tool that you get, because you're going to need it, just like I did in November 14th. Yeah. I needed to use all my resources and I wanted to walk in integrity. So if I'm going to walk in integrity, then I've got to use these tools that I preach about, you know, and they served me. And it was a whole nother level for me. Um, to be able to not live in the pain. Unshakablelife.com. Folks, go check it out. This is this is incredible. I mean, talk about credibility. I mean, everything you've been through, um, being able to share your story here today as well, and not sitting there saying, like, I've just been dealt the worst hand. It, it, that's that's rough, The, the st- a lot of the stuff you've been through. But like you've said, think about all the greatness that you're doing and helping all these other people because of all these other obstacles that have been put in front of you in life. And I mean, perfect guest for here on Shadows with helping everybody. And final, well, actually, let me ask you this. What do you think your legacy is going to be 50 years from now? Oof. 
50 years from now, thank you for the longevity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that that army of angels was built. Yeah. That I have a vision of a stadium of 11,110 people um, that come together. I'll have speakers and my sons are sound healers. My daughter's a singer. And we're going to perform the most epic like sound healing for these people. They're all going to be laying down and we're going to have a um, African um, drummers and a beautiful African-American choir and um, just every musician um, that is an expert in their field. And my boys are such amazing sound healers. And to be able to inject the vibration of love into every human being. And my, my outcome is to live stream it so that if people can't make it to the live event, that they are um, tuning in wherever they're at and they're creating their own community of people that will be a part of it. And at 11.11, exactly, we're all going to sing the same song. And we're going to raise the frequency of the world. Um, and, and part of that is through a t-shirt company that I created called Light Warriors Inc. Um, and, and, and it's a concept that I got in a medicine journey that I, I was on. And it was how to spread bold love around the world. Um, and, and it's a long story I won't get into now. But it's just basically the concept. And, and that website is spreadboldlove.com. Mm -hmm. And the video's on there and it explains it. And it's just the opportunity to buy a t-shirt, wear it and buy one to gift. And every time you gift it, the person that receives it scans the barcode on the sleeve and they get your message, but you get a notification that they received it. So then they pay it forward and now it goes to Peru and that person receives it. And then the person that sent it gets a ping and the person that sent it before gets a ping. So if you're number 500, 499 people will get a notification on their phone because there's an app that says, here's where the gift is now in the world. That's and if you think about it from a scientific aspect, every time you receive a gift, it drips dopamine, right? We get that heart expansion, that oxytocin. So vibrationally, we're actually spreading the that veil of love that was God's download. Um, because in that moment, everybody's getting a notification. You're like, oh, where is it now? Right. You pick up your phone in excitement. That right there is that love drug. Yeah. And and so that's how we spread love around the world. So when we get to 10 rounds of 1111, we have our army of 11,110 people and we have a global global um, community. So that's I, I would love to know that I did that. I would love to know that. I mean, honestly, at this stage of the game, if I died tomorrow, I I die in peace because I already know through virtue of people that have said to me that their lives are different because of me, mm -hmm. then I've left my purpose. Yeah. And I think if they've listened listened to this episode, as I'm struggling here to speak, um, they're definitely going to be better off because of hearing your message. What final comments do you have for our listeners? Well, I was thinking about that and... Um, it's a, it's a little story and I, and I want to relay it because I think it'll click in with your audience. Um, the power of mindset, right? You said like we are in control, right? So there is a place out in San Diego um, run by Mark Devine and it's called Seal Fit, right? And so he basically runs this uh, uh, weightlifting uh, course through the, sea, the Navy SEAL mindset. Right. So he's got a, a thing called Kokoro, which is 
the equivalent of Navy SEAL Hell Week, right? And you do it in two days, right? So it's 50 hours. 50 hours is what it is that you do. And so you have to prepare for like a year. You have to do the mirth. You have to do all these things, right, to pass Kokoro in two days. And so um, coaching friends and I, we were all training for it. And right before it, unfortunately, I hurt my shoulder and so did my other friend. And we weren't able to go with our group, but they let us watch. So we were cheering them on and we were in it with them. And at one point, one of the guys, they submerge you in a cold water bucket, right? So you literally have ice on top of you and you have a water bottle cut at the top so that you just breathe through the, through the hole, right? Because you're so submerged. So this guy pops out now and he's got six other dudes and they're holding the telephone pole, right? And they all have to hold it together. And so he steps out and he's in front and he's holding the thing. He's going, because he's like just shaking because it's so cold. And the commander guy comes over and he says, stop shaking. And so he's like, he's trying to quiet himself down. He walks around and he comes back and he says, stop shaking so he's like and he's still shaking comes back again and he looks at him nose to nose as you guys know he they do this nose to nose and he pokes at his head and he says command your body to stop and he goes that mindset so we are in power, even in a moment where we are justified in our human reaction, right? We are just, no, don't you know, this thing happened. I'm justified in my rage. I'm justified in my, no, stop. You are a sovereign being. You have the capacity to control your mind and control your body and control your thoughts. So have a gatekeeper at the, at the forefront of your mind. You wouldn't let somebody walk into your freaking home with white carpet with muddy shoes. So don't allow anything to enter your mind that you don't give permission to. You are sovereign, you are powerful, and you get to decide where your mind goes. So even if you have, if you feel rage or you feel anger at a moment in time, just literally say, give me a second. Everyone will respect that. And you just literally recalibrate, stand in your power and know your sovereignty you are in control of your mind and you can behave in a way that you believe is within integrity. Wow. From start to finish, this episode is just full of so many good nuggets. Folks, one more time, unshakablelife.com. Um, check her out. Definitely go on there. Um, where where else can they find you? Um, or anywhere? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um I'm not hard to find. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out there. I'm on Instagram to Jesse Torres official, or I am fierce grace, um, spreadboldlove.com. Um, and I'm also actually started, just started this nonprofit that I'm excited because you mentioned uh, kindness around the world. I, I opened up this nonprofit called everyday heroes among us. And what I want to do is showcase the everyday hero, you know, not the glorified basketball players that write big fat checks. Cause I don't even know if people, the children actually get that money. 
But I want to I want to interview the guy that lives down the street that brings a coffee and donut to the little old lady who doesn't have a family and he does it religiously every every week, you know, because he doesn't expect anything in return. And I want to be able to raise money to buy him a new car or fix up his home or pay for his kids college. I don't know. I want to create an organization where I videotape these people and I showcase them so that people can see that they're still more good than bad. You know, we're getting fed that man's inhumanity to man is at such a high rate and that there's so much evil. My mom watches the news and calls me and says, you know, Jesse, the world is terrible. And I'm like, no, mom, it's not. I said, I agree that there's a lot of terrible things happening. Definitely. But there's a lot of good. And I want to be able to showcase the everyday hero to recognize that we are still winning. Light is still winning. And if the more of us wake up to do the things we've talked about here, we can shift the world so that this is the new conversation. We will have that in the episode description as well. Now, this was awesome way to wrap up this episode. I can't thank you enough, not just for taking time to do this, but for being real, being vulnerable, sharing your story. Uh, I definitely, I want to thank you personally for, for taking time to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and and letting me share. And and my my outcome is that it it speaks to your audience's soul, not their ears, but their soul, and that they realize that there is a life that's waiting for them that is just unshakable and beautiful and beyond whatever they could have fathomed. So thank you. It was my honor trip. I appreciate you. Yeah, I love this. So can't thank you enough. Head over unshakablelife.com. Uh, all the links are going to be in the episode description. And folks, make sure you tune in next week for another episode of The Shadows Podcast. 